We are launching a new series today that's going to take us all the way up until Easter, and we're entitling our series Uncomfortable, and it's all about the shocking words of Jesus. Most people, Christians and non-Christians alike, agree that Jesus was a great teacher. His teaching is insightful, and it's stirring and motivational. His teaching is thought-provoking and memorable. Though some of Jesus' words are difficult and uncomfortable and sometimes shocking and hard, I think we should stop and ask ourselves, why, why do we consider some of Jesus' teaching to be hard? And I think his words are hard because sometimes they're hard to understand and sometimes they're hard to accept and sometimes they're hard to receive. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. From this passage, as we read it, there are two perspectives from people. And so when you read the words, hate father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and even your own life, one perspective is, I think people read that, and at first glance they say, this is absurd. Why would Jesus say these words to hate like this? Or some people might read this and say, okay, that's easy. I, I already hate my mom and dad. You know, it's, uh, it's, it would be easy for me. And Jesus would say, I think, if you hate your father and mother your way, the only solution to that is to hate them my way. And we'll look at this and explore what this means today. Today's shocking words of Jesus is really not about hating your family, although that's the thing that sort of jumps out at you when you, when you read this scripture. It's about being and making disciples of Jesus. It's about what we would call in the church world discipleship, what it means to be a follower or disciple of Jesus Christ. And that's the lens we'll take a look at our text today from. What does it mean to follow Jesus, and we'll look at four, four things that we can pull out from this scripture passage today. The first is this. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Number one, being a disciple is not optional. It's, it's not optional. In verse 25, the text reads, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them. He said some words, and Jesus was with his 12 disciples, and this large crowd was following him, and that we see in verse 25, this large crowd, perhaps in the thousands, were following, and Jesus doesn't just talk to his disciples, he turns to everyone. He turns to the whole, to, to the whole thousands of people, this, this large crowd, and what Jesus says, he says to everybody, he doesn't just say it to his 12, and that means that Jesus has no double standards to these shocking words that we read today. 
I think a lot of people think of Christianity and they think of it in sort of different levels or, or stages. And maybe people think of Christianity as simply in two different levels. The level one would be people would think, well, I'm a Christian. I attend worship services on Sunday when I can. I don't get too excited about it, and I pray. I, I pray when I have a, a need, I'll, I'll, I'll seek God out. That's sort of, we'll call it level one Christianity. And then there's another level, perhaps, or many other levels, but another level, and people think of them, level two, as the really devoted types, the, the going all out type of Christian. And when Jesus turns to the crowd, he's saying there are no two levels. There are no multiple levels of Christianity or two standards. In verse 27, Jesus says, And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Jesus would be saying, If you want to have a relationship with me, you've got to put me first ahead of family. I've, I've got to be your number one. And full discipleship is an absolute requirement. Some might say, I'm a Christian, but I'm not a disciple. I'm just not into those sorts of things. But you can't do that because to be a Christian is to be a disciple. Jesus doesn't have one message to the large crowd and another message just to his disciples. There is no bait and switch here. From the context of this, we understand that there's one standard and one standard only, and Jesus is being very upfront by it. Number one, being a disciple is not optional. Number two, being a disciple is countercultural. It's it's of a different culture, it's of a different standard, it's of a different tradition. It goes against the the grain of our current tradition or current culture. Look at the range of those that you're, you're to hate here in verse 26 in Luke 14. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. There's a, there's a full range of hating that Jesus is calling on here. Now, in this family-oriented culture, this patriarchal family-oriented culture that Jesus is speaking these words to, this is sort of the progression of the course of your life, if you, if you think of, about this. And it's different. It's very, very different than our Western individualistic, secular, post-Christian culture that we live in today. Jesus is just laying out sort of the way your life is supposed to be. The, your life revolved around your family in that day, in, in your extended family. And for those of you who are more are from a more traditional culture, even here today, even in our Western individualistic society, if you're from a more traditional culture, you can understand this a little bit easier. You've experienced how important your family is with everything in your life. And so things like you, you know your actions, uh, uh, positive and negative, will have an effect on your family. And so you wouldn't do anything that would have a negative effect on your family. You wouldn't want to, what they would call, disgrace your family by your actions. Or if you have a significant other and, and uh, um, you have this significant other and then you bring that person over to meet 
your parents and maybe even your siblings so that you would get some approval. That's more of a traditional culture. Also, you don't move far away from your, uh, from, from your family. You, you stay within distance, uh, a close proximity. And then you, you gather regularly. It's not just holidays or, or big events um, in your family. It's sort of a regular gathering. And I hear this out of, out of many of you. Many of you will say, you know, I have a significant other. I'm going to introduce them to my parents. And everyone's thinking, well, this is a big deal then. Or maybe I hear that um, <clears throat> out of some of you I've heard like, Sunday nights is a family night. And, and you're adults and you're married, but, but still, you still gather at your parents' home for a dinner or for something every week. And so there's this traditional culture that still is a part of where we're at today. But here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is looking at the normal agenda of a person's life in, in that culture. And he's saying to them, you're going to have to be willing to kiss all of this goodbye. Or maybe better put, Jesus would say, don't you dare come to me with your own agenda in your life and then your own outline of your life and then try to just sort of fit me in there. He says, I didn't, I didn't come for that. Don't think of being a Christian will just help you be a better spouse or help you be a better parent or help you be a better employee. Don't, Jesus would say, don't come to me if just because you want to have a happier life or a better life or a more prosperous life. He's not saying that. Jesus is saying, you must come to me for me. Don't come to me for excitement or for happiness or for adventure or for, or for purpose or fulfillment. You're going to experience those things if you come to me, certainly. But when you come to me, you need to come to me for me. Being a disciple is not optional. Being a disciple is countercultural. But what I want to do here in this next point is I really want to explore this word hate because I think that's the uncomfortable word. That's the shocking word when Jesus comes out and, and says this, especially when it comes to hating your father and mother and et cetera and et cetera. Don't, don't think that, I don't think that many people think that Jesus really means hate your family. I mean, you read this and you think, oh, I know Jesus. He wouldn't say hate your family. Because later in other spots in the, in the Gospels, you read Jesus hanging on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them. He's not a hating person. He even says, love your enemies. So Jesus, why would Jesus say, hate your family here? Let's take a look and see. So I think we have this clue that Jesus is probably not using the word hate in the common or normal sense of being actively hostile here. In the Bible, the word hate could mean two different versions of hate, if, if you want to call it. It can mean active hate or hostility. It can mean that. But it also can mean hate comparatively. Hate comparatively. Here's an example of this. In the story of Jacob, who had two wives in the Old Testament, Leah and Rachel, we find this in Genesis chapter 29. And here we read two times that Jacob loved Rachel, but he hated Leah. In um, verse 31 in Genesis chapter 29, it says, Leah was hated. And then once again in verse 33, Leah says, I am hated. 
But verse 30 gives us a reason for using that, that word hate. In verse 30 it says, His love, Jacob's love for Rachel, was greater than his love for Leah. So it's a comparative hate, if you want to look at it that way. Jacob did not hate Leah actively, hostily, but he hated her comparatively. So what is Jesus saying here about what it means to be a disciple? It's a very, this is really the, the deep part. This searches our hearts when we look at Jesus' words. Jesus is saying, simply but with deep emotion, a disciple loves me. It's, it's simple. We sing it. We say it. But Jesus is saying simply and deeply, emotionally deeply, a disciple loves me. Look at the types of loves here in verse 26. There's a father and mother love. It's an, a, a, a familial love. It's a, an affectionate love. There's a spousal love, an eros love, another kind of love. Then there's a, a children love. Your love for your child is different in the way you would love your parents or your spouse. And then there's a brother or sister love. It's a sibling love, or this could also mean uh, brothers or sisters in a church, a church family love. And so there's a span of love that Jesus is covering through these relationships here in verse 26. But here's what Jesus is doing. He's taking every kind of human love, every kind, and, and there's taking every kind of human love that there is, and he's saying, I desire, Jesus is saying, I desire a love that makes all those other forms of human love comparatively less than what I offer. That's what Jesus is, is saying here. Number three, Jesus is saying, being a disciple is deeply emotional. It's deeply emotional. And this is really for, for me, this is really searching in my heart. Really, really, I've really got to examine this in my own heart. Jesus is saying, love me supremely and love me emotionally here. In other places in the gospel accounts, Jesus says things like, put me first and I, I need to be your priority. But here, he's talking about love here. Being a disciple is not just about intellectual assent and knowledge. It's deeply emotional. When I sing songs here at Nova on a Sunday, I, 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 I like to look at the words as I'm singing them for a lot of different reasons. I'm not a great singer, and so I need to remember, but I like to look at the words, and I like to really, I challenge myself as I'm singing these words and I'm reading them on the screen, and I challenge myself, I, I, I try to, not just to sing the words because I, I think the song's really good, but I like to, to look at the screen and read those words and I challenge myself with, do I really feel that way as I'm singing these words? And so I sing some of these words and, and, and maybe you have a problem with them like sometimes I have a problem with them. Like I sing these words like, I'm running to your arms. And honestly, I don't always feel like I'm running to his arms. And I sing these words like, I'm longing for your embrace. 
And I feel kind of weird with that. Just honest. I don't know if you can relate to me or not. I feel kind of kind of strange to I'm running to your arms and I'm longing for your embrace. Things like the lover of my soul. And I and I sometimes I feel like my emotion doesn't match what I'm singing there. But I got I I have to know because I'm I'm looking at this and I'm 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 studying this and I'm and I'm preaching this that Jesus is emotional about you. And his desire is that we would be emotional emotionally in love with him. The the apostle Paul writes about God's emotional love in Romans chapter 5. He says we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope and hope does not put us to shame because he writes God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us it's this God's love that just through the Holy Spirit pours into our hearts you see a disciple is not just about showing up to worship and attending a small group and bringing a plate of home-baked goodies for plaza time and and volunteering somewhere in the church, learning in Nova classes. It's not just about those things. Jesus is saying, love me emotionally, deeply. Augustine, an early church father, he wrote um, a a paper. It's a a book, it's a document. It's called On Christian Doctrine. And and Augustine writes this. Let Let me read this so you can see it up here on the on the slide too. Augustine writes, but living a just and holy life requires one to be capable of an objective and impartial evaluation of things. To love things, that is to say, in the right order so that you do not love what is not to be loved or fail to love what is to be loved or have a greater love for what should be loved less or an equal love for things that should be loved less or more, or lesser or greater love for things that should be loved equally. One of Augustine's lifelong projects or pursuits became to discover why most people are so discontent, and he wanted to find out why people lack so much joy in their lives. And Augustine's conclusion was that the cause of our discontent is that our loves are out of order. It was his whole life. He, he wrote about it, talked about it, and I assume all the time, that his, his big thought was that our loves are all out of order, and that's what makes us lack joy and, discon- and why we are discontent. Augustine taught that we are most fundamentally shaped not so much by what we believe or what we think or even do, but we're most fundamentally shaped by what we love. For instance, courage is loving your neighbor's well-being more than you love your own. That's what courage is. And honesty is loving your neighbor's interests more than your own. And even when the truth will put you at a disadvantage. Some of you 
out there say, I believe in social equality and I believe in justice with all of my heart. <clears throat> and you think that you do. But if you make business decisions or even if you make personal decisions that exploit others, it's because at the heart level, you love your own prosperity and your own comfort more than you love your neighbors. Augustine didn't see our problems as stemming from not only just a lack of love, he also observed that the heart's loves have an order to them and that we often love less important things more and more important things less. Therefore, the unhappiness and the disorder of our lives are caused by the disorder of our loves. You see, a disciple is emotional, is deeply emotional about their love for Jesus Christ. And your love for him, a disciple's love for Jesus, pales in comparison to all other human loves and love of other things. That's what a disciple's all about. It's not optional. It's emotion, it's countercultural. The third, it's emotional. And the last thing we'll pull today from this passage is number four, being a disciple is unconditional. It's it's unconditional. Verse 27. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And the essential image here of what it means to be a disciple is to live the Christian life is, is the symbol of execution, the symbol of, of the cross. And I've been, I was thinking this week that, you know, p- p- politics and, you know, there's people jumping into the race to be president in this, in this next round. Imagine a candidate, a presidential candidate, uh, campaigning and running for this presidential office. Imagine if they would say something like, Come with me and follow me. Strap yourself to an electric chair and I'll take you to the top. Wouldn't that be weird? Yeah, that would be so strange. See, being a disciple is unconditional. In ancient days, when you saw a man carrying a cross, you knew that was the last thing he was ever going to do. He didn't walk around with that cross and after a few hours say, I don't think this is working for me anymore. There's no way. And when Jesus says, hate your family because you've got me, it was extremely controversial. It was extremely hostile to the current traditions and the current culture. In that day, if you didn't have a family, you had nothing. But in our Western, our individualistic, our self-focused, our post-Christian secular culture that we live in today, it's extremely controversial and hostile because Jesus not only says to hate your family, he says hate your own life. In Western society, we would say no one has the right to tell me what to do with my own life. And Jesus says, if you're going to be my disciple... You've got to give up all your rights. These are hard words. These are shocking words. Not just then, but now. 
Jesus says, obey me unconditionally, no matter what comes your way. There are no, I'll obey you, Jesus, if, and you have these conditions. And in verse 23, in Luke chapter 9, Jesus says this. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Now, I, I begin to think, you know, because we think cru- uh, crucifixion, you know, the cross, in electric chair or a firing squad. They're kind of the same thing. They're all execution things. But they are and they aren't. The electric chair and the firing squad are instantaneous deaths. It's the crack of the rifle and you're gone. It's the flip of the switch and, you know, electricity goes through your system and, and you're gone. And the cross is gradual. The death is gradual. The death is slow. And I don't know if we could, well, I'll I'll say it. If we relate electric chair and firing squad to the crucifixion, we could see a difference. And I think what we could say here is that Jesus is ready to be patient with you with the cross. It's a steady, as we read in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, it's a habitual, it's a daily living. Take up your cross daily. And it, it's, it's following Jesus. It's steady. It's daily. These are hard words. Just today, just this little piece are hard words. They're, they're uncomfortable words and they're shocking words. Luke chapter 14. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple, and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Amen.